I'm excited at the uh, chance to speak once again with well-known, best-selling author Jerry Oppenheimer. And uh, surely you know that name well for uh, some of the books which he has written in the past. Uh, he has written books about uh, the Kennedys, uh, the Hiltons, Martha Stewart, Barbara Walters, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, he and I actually spoke about uh, his book about Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, for book number nine, Jerry Oppenheimer is actually uh, doing something in some respects a little bit different. That is, he is not tackling a person, but rather an entire company. And it's one of the most uh, famous companies uh, in America, Mattel, creators of, among other things, the, uh, the famous Barbie doll and uh, lots of other things. It's a, a, a ride which has been a, a fairly turbulent one. Uh, there was a time when Mattel was as successful as any company in America and uh, achieved that success with some, uh, some groundbreaking uh, uh, innovations. And then uh, things became uh, much rougher for Mattel due to all kinds of, of, of different missteps. And uh, all of that and more chronicled in a really interesting book called Toy Monster, The Big Bad World of Mattel, in which uh, Jerry Oppenheimer, in his inimitable style, uh, introduces us to some of the primary players in uh, the rocky history of this company. The book is published by Wiley, and we have a few minutes to speak with uh, Jerry Oppenheimer about the story of Mattel and uh, some of the most uh, interesting figures who have walked its hallways. Jerry Oppenheimer, we welcome you back to The Morning Show. Well, thank you for having me again. It is an intriguing departure in some ways, not in every way. I mean, there are a lot of ways in which this book feels exactly like uh, the Jerry Oppenheimer books of the past. But in terms of your target, it is a little bit different. Uh, tell us what prompted you to write this book, and in particular to write a book ab about a company versus a single person. Well, as you had uh, noted uh, in your preamble, uh, I, I've written about major iconic figures, you know, Martha Stewart, uh, Barbara Walters, the Clintons, the Kennedys, the Hilton dynasty, uh, which covered the, uh, the lives from uh, the hotel founder, Conrad Hilton, up to uh, the life of uh, the uh, famous for being famous uh, granddaughter of his, uh, Paris Hilton. Uh, but this time I decided that I wanted to find a iconic institution, uh, uh, an institution that everyone, generations of parents and children, have had some contact with. And Mattel seemed to fit the bill. Uh, you know, the company uh, was founded uh, right after World War II in a garage by two uh, entrepreneurial young people by the name of uh, Ruth and Elliot Handler, who came from uh, Eastern European uh, immigrant Jewish stock, um, the, the handlers themselves had very little education beyond high school, but they were very street smart, very aggressive, very ambitious, and they started this company. Um, the other two reasons I decided to go with a uh, an, an institution like Mattel is because back in 2007, you may recall, a dark cloud hovered over this uh, the world's largest toy company. Uh, Mattel does business in 140 countries around the world. And it is a public company on the uh, stock exchange. Uh, and 
suddenly uh, Mattel was in the headlines. Uh, 20 million toys during what I called the toy terror of 2007 were recalled because of lead paint, uh, dangerous levels of lead paint, I might add, found in uh, in uh, literally millions of toys that Mattel has manufactured in China. Uh, Mattel, like a lot of other companies, uh, uh, outsources most or all of its production to uh, to China and some other third some other countries. Um, so here, this lead paint was discovered. Uh, beyond that, there was a um, design flaw in one of its more popular contemporary toys called Polly Pockets, in which tiny magnets um, that were part of the, uh, the inducement for people buying the product were being swallowed by, by young children. They were being made ill. They were injured internally. Uh, some nearly died and had to go under emer- undergo emergency surgery. So I was struck by the fact that you know a, a company so trusted and, and supposedly beloved by uh, by people, uh, children, uh, <clears throat> was suddenly in the midst of a scandal. Beyond that, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Barbie doll, the most iconic, best-selling toy ever. Uh, has been the centerpiece of uh, Mattel's uh, history. And those two kind of news pegs uh, inspired me to uh, say to myself, you know, this could be the institution I want to write about, and what do we know about this company? Where did it come from? What, what has been the uh, corporate culture there for so many years? Who are the cast of characters who brought out these uh, iconic toys like Barbie and Chatty Cathy and Hot Wheels. I mean, you know, Jack in the Box. Uh, they go on and on forever. And what I discovered was really kind of the, the dark side of Toyland. Um, I think most people probably view a toy company as a happy, joyful, wonderful place uh, to work. I mean, there's been movies about, you know, Toyland, toy companies, uh, Tom Hanks, film. Um, Big was one of those kinds of movies. Uh, and, and, and in reality, this was uh, shark-infested waters, highly competitive people, um, scandals, red flags raised, whistleblowers. And one of the other things I do in terms of the book is uh, I discovered that for years there had been a myth surrounding the, uh, the birth of Barbie, so to speak. Uh, Ruth Handler, who was one of the co-founders of Mattel, uh, had written a book called Dream Doll, an autobiography which was written basically by a journalist uh, who had been hired to write the book, uh, in which she claimed full and complete credit for discovering, creating, inventing, engineering, everything you could, you could do to bring Barbie to life and in, uh, introducing her in 1959. But what I discovered in, in, in extensive interviews with people who had worked at Mattel as designers and uh, inventors uh, and, and engineers during that period when the handlers were running Mattel was, in fact, that the actual inventor, the father of Barbie, was a, a brilliant Yale engineering school graduate who had gone from designing 
weapons of mass destruction for the Cold War Pentagon to uh, getting a job at Mattel as a senior uh, design consultant and bringing Barbie to life, uh, resulting in years of feuding with Ruth Handler because you had two kind of driven, ambitious people uh, butting heads, especially over who brought Barbie to life. So it became an intriguing uh, uh, soap opera story behind the scenes, uh, what was going on at Mattel. In what respect do you think, if you think it is, is this exceptional in corporate America? I think there are some people who would suggest that... uh, you could walk down the hallways of, of, of just about any major company, and these are the kind of stories that one is, is likely to uncover. Uh, but do you think that's particularly true at Mattel? I mean, is Mattel exceptional in this respect? Well, I don't know if Mattel is exceptional in this respect. Uh, what I do know is that I think people have a different concept of a toy company as opposed to GM or Chrysler or Ford or any of the uh, the major corporations in this country. Um, and especially when you're dealing with a product that is aimed at children. I mean, one of the issues that I discovered uh, when I began looking into the uh, toy terror of 2007 was the fact that uh, Mattel has a long history of... Uh, uh, dangerous toys that were produced and marketed uh, beyond uh, what was discovered in 2007. One was a uh, was a toy called Incredible Edibles, in which uh, Mattel actually decided that they found in their chem lab a way to produce a toy that was actually edible. And once that toy was brought out into the marketplace, it was discovered uh, and had to be... Uh, taken off the shelves that children who suffered from childhood diabetes were uh, becoming ill from eating this uh, this gloppy <laughs> gooey mess that Mattel was uh, highly promoting as a, as a fun toy even the uh, the iconic jack in the box um, which i think probably everyone has had as a child uh, had major problems there was a uh, defect in the manufacturing of the spring. And this was at a time when the toys were being made here in the U.S. and not in China. And at least one child was blinded. Uh, Mattel was big on guns and produced all kinds of uh, toy guns for boys. And one of them uh, produced such a loud noise that it almost deafened children. So the the history of uh, bad toys as opposed to good toys has been part of uh, Mattel's history, which I document for the first time in the book. So I think, I think, uh, in terms of Mattel being a public company that uh, you know has to generate big revenues to impress Wall Street and uh, make its stockholders uh, happy and fat and sassy, it is like a lot of other companies. But the fact that it produces products for children makes it somewhat different. And uh, and over the years, Mattel's prime goal, because it's been a public company since the 1960s, is the fact that it has to generate big revenue. And it has to generate that revenue over any other uh, issues uh, involved in the production of toys. Um, you know, I, I go into the fact that... Um, 
Ruth Handler, the co-founder of Mattel, actually was one of the first female white-collar criminals long before Martha Stewart, who, who, who I had written about in a previous book, and Leona Helmsley, uh, who had gone to prison for a tax evasion. Back in the mid-'70s, when Mattel suddenly uh, was having uh, financial problems and was putting out allegedly false uh, revenue statements and giving Wall Street um, good news instead of the reality of bad news, she was found to have been essentially cooking Mattel's books along with uh, several other executives, was indicted by a federal grand jury for seven months, denied any wrongdoing, and at the end of that time, as part of a plea bargain deal, which kept her at the age of 61 out of prison, um, she had, she pleaded no contest to these various uh, charges of uh, manipulating Mattel's stocks and revenues, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, was ousted from the company, uh, was forced to do the uh, a, a term of community service longer than any other community service term in the past, and um, was, you know, basically brought Mattel to its corporate knees, a company that she and her husband had worked so hard to, uh, to make huge. So it's just a uh, an amazing story of uh, of, of corporate corruption and uh, uh, misdeeds, uh, along with uh, making many kids happy. It's just a bizarre story. And I guess, the, as you say, the fact that it's a toy company, where and we we want to imagine it being uh, one thing, when in fact these kind of corporate realities are, are in such sharp contrast uh, to that uh, idyllic image we might have. I need to ask you a similar question to one I asked you when, I asked, uh, when we talked about your, Jerry, Oppenheim, or your uh, Jerry Seinfeld book, namely the fact that uh, when you are writing kind of unvarnished portraits of, of famous people, uh, certainly some of the people you're going to talk to are people who, for one reason or another, are disgruntled maybe disgruntled former or present employees who have a very particular image of the person in my in question and maybe a very particular perspective or view certain events through a certain pr prism of interpretation. I should think in some respects that's even a bigger issue when you are writing a book about an entire company. Um, take us through your process by which you sort out uh, what people tell you and and how you are able to sort of get at the heart of who's telling the truth here and who, on the other hand, is speaking out of great bitterness uh, caused by, you know, one, one thing or another. Um, how do you as the author sort through that kind of a uh, tangle? Yeah, that, that's absolutely true in the kinds of books I do. Um, I try to be as objective as possible. I never actually put my opinions into the book. Um, doing a biography or even a history of a, a company like Mattel, I try to interview as many people as possible. And it's correct that, that those sometimes more willing to speak are those who have issues with, with the, 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 uh, the person or, the, or, in this case, Mattel. People have been fired. People have been treated uh, badly. 
uh, I try to 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 interview the broad spectrum of of, uh, of uh, possible subjects who have great knowledge about my particular subject. Um, there, you know, I I don't go into these these uh, subjects at all with any sort of bias. I try to be as objective as possible. And when I find a controversial issue, if I'm interviewing someone and they come up with some scandalous fact or uh, um, questionable uh, controversial issue, I always try to get a second or third source to support it. In other words, it's almost like having one or two or three cameras on one particular scene in a film. So I try to get all angles, and uh, uh, usually the first person I speak to is supported by the second or third. I find that, that in having done nine books and now working on my tenth, um, uh, people are very honest, uh, very few of them have agendas. I'm actually calling these people or contacting these people out of the blue. Uh, you know, some haven't been involved with the uh, with Mattel for for ten or fifteen or twenty years, or even from the beginning of its founding, and they are they are happy to uh, reminisce about their lives there, what the corporate culture was like, um, and be very open and honest. I've never found anyone who has lied to me uh, because I've checked out what they told me and it, it turned out to be true. I, bizarrely, when I was doing the Martha Stewart book, which is called Just Desserts um, and was a New York Times bestseller for a number of weeks, um, I actually discovered during my research that Martha was telling people she figured I would be interviewing to actually lie to me, tell me mistruths so she could... In, you know, somewhere uh, when the book was published, um, be able to say that 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 Jerry Oppenheimer published falsehood. So uh, that's the only time I've ever encountered anything like that. And having written nine uh, essentially independent biographies, meaning they are not authorized by the uh, by the subject, I've uh, uh, I'm very careful in my reporting. I've been an investigative reporter for many years and have. Have never been sued, so uh, indeed, um, uh, I try and get at least two sources on certain uh, controversial or uh, questionable issues that that are brought up during interviews. Uh, for the great success and uh, and also stunning reversals that Mattel has experienced over its uh, long history, give us some sense of of where they are right now. Uh, well, Mattel is being faced, like so many other uh, <clears throat> businesses uh, around the world, with the recession. And their revenues are down, sales are down. Uh, they've just come out of what was con what, what's considered the, uh, the, uh, the biggest and most contentious uh, corporate uh, court case in history, and that is the case involving uh, Mattel versus MGA, MGA Entertainment. Uh, MGA is a company that, in the early to mid-90s, introduced a doll called the Bratz Dolls, and uh, I'm sure your listeners who have children will be familiar with those. These were dolls of a very sexy, ethnic nature um, that were based more on the uh, tabloid uh, train wreck uh, 
characters uh, that little girls today know about, the, the Paris Hiltons and the Lindsay Lohans and, the, and that group. And uh, Mattel claimed in court that uh, the idea was stolen from them. Uh, whether that's true or not, it was hard to tell in terms of the trial. Uh, that case is still dragging on. Um, Mattel's stock value has dropped. Barbie sales, and now we're in, in the year of her 50th anniversary, are, are far down from, the, uh, from earlier years. Uh, so Mattel is, uh, is struggling. Um, you know, hopefully when the, uh, when the um, recession ends, uh, it'll get back on its feet. But there's been a lot of criticism from people I interviewed who were designers and engineers that Mattel, through the years, began losing its creativity and was depending more on trying to please uh, Wall Street and the stockholders rather than trying to please children. And that, a lot of that has to do with the uh, decline in sales of Barbie. Barbie became kind of an outdated product, even though she's still um, the largest selling toy in the world. Uh, her popularity has diminished uh, a, a great deal. Uh, kids today are interested in, you know, at seven years old, they have their own laptop computers. They have cell phones. Uh, they're interested in video games. So the 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 day that you know the period when when Barbie was the most in-demand toy, uh, and and kids wanted to play with little cars and and dolls, that's all changed. And uh, I think Mattel is struggling to get into the minds of today's children and see exactly what they want and try and bring out those products. It's not an easy issue because kids are very fickle in, in what they want to play with and what's popular for six months suddenly ends and, and a new idea has to be generated. Hmm. Well, it's quite a story told in an interesting book called Toy Monster, The Big Bad World of Mattel. Uh, the book is published by Wiley. Jerry Oppenheimer, I thank you for joining me today on The Morning Show. Best wishes. Thank you for having me.